some more. May come back to uh, revisit some of it. I'm sure we will. Want to move through it this morning with this teaching. And if you're a young person here this morning, I want you particularly to pay attention to this teaching. I don't find it in the commentaries. I looked at several commentaries this week on um, Mark, and particularly Mark chapter 3, and the idea of the gospel of Mark itself as a whole, uh, the discussion of Mark, and what I found here some time ago as a younger Christian and helped me more than probably anything else in my daily decision-making, particularly in my study time and the outworkings of that, is this idea this idea that in the Christian life, to live the Christian life the way that Christ intended, not only did he intend and purpose it, he died that we might have it. The way that he intended us to live this life is with disciplines. Discipline. Discipline is one word. Discipline, singular, is an act. It's an idea and attitude. Disciplines are the several acts that constitute the family of the behaviors that Christ called us to live by, the disciplines of the Christian life. The first one is discipleship. We talk about that. The discipline of discipleship is, is singular, and the Lord gave it very clearly, the calling of his disciples. The disciplines of the discipleship, number one, and this is the hub of the wheel. As we talked about before, there's the wheel, the spokes, and the hub. The one discipline that all other disciplines shoot out from is the discipline of discipleship. The Lord said, come unto me and I will give you rest. You have to come to be a disciple. That's clear. He says there's a cost to coming. There's the call and there's a cost. The cost is this. Matthew 10 and 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's a tough one. That's tough. It's the number one central hub Sharon, discipline. Cool, because you. when he says, when you come, number one, deny yourself. Number two is to take up your cross. And number three is follow me. In the denying of ourselves, we have to deny all those things that would be distractions from our love for Christ. And it doesn't mean, and don't take it to mean this, that you're supposed to hate your parents. It's this. In comparison, our love for Christ should be so glowing should be so radiant in our lives and so visible that people say, compared to their love for Christ, nothing else seems to matter. And I'm telling you this, I believe this with everything in me, you'll come to a day, I'll come to a day when we'll stand before him and know this, nothing else matters. Nothing else but our love for him, our life for him is going to matter. It's going to matter. Speaking of that, a quick note, we have Gary's funeral tomorrow downtown at 10 o'clock a.m., Gary's story. Masks are required in the funeral home. It's, it's Gary's farewell for us. I want to say this about Gary. He was a, he was a preacher's dream. He, he came every week and said, I've been studying my Bible. What does this mean and what does that mean? And he was my best cheerleader, by the way. But he came every week and he would call me and meet us midweek sometimes and have questions for me. It's a preacher's dream, I'm telling you. 
And so here's what, here's what I know about Gary right now. I have some questions for him. He knows things I, I don't know. He knows things right now that I don't know. See in the Lord. See in the goodness, kingdom of God. Again, my tears are not for Gary. They're for me. They're for me. God bless him. Tomorrow at 10 o'clock, we'll, we'll celebrate his life. He's already home. The cost. The cost of discipleship. And so the meaning is an amplified cost is, if any man come after me and hate not his father and mother, he gets it, the Lord amplified it. It has to look like hate. And what's the meaning of that? Here's the meaning, if you study it well. The meaning of that statement. I'm not asking anyone to go home and hate your parents, and neither did the Lord, neither does the Bible. Don't get that in your head. Here's what he said. The meaning of his teaching was this, the preeminent Christ, the Christ above all else. You should honor your parents. You should love your parents. You should spend time with your parents. You should absolutely honor your parents. But the Lord said, now, I came to be preeminent in your life. To be preeminent in the heart of every believer is this Christ. Uh, and we're sharing no place. We, we won't share that place with a thing or a person. No one and no thing, nothing, is to share that place. Now, I have had feedback on that from a lot of people in my life saying, boy, you teach and preach tough stuff. It's scripture, folks, and, and maybe the problem is I didn't explain it well, but it's not to, not to hate your parents, but it's to love Christ so much that he's preeminent in your life. Then there's the cross-bearing. He said in verse uh, 23 of Luke 9, the Lord said, And he said to them all, If any man will, will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Luke 14 and 27 reads this way, and whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Pray with, pray with me now for a moment. Lord, just be with us this morning. Teach us from your word. Empower us to do what you call us to. And Lord, help us just to see the joy. The joy that comes from being your disciple. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we have now... Mark chapter 3, we read last week and we ended last week with verse 6. And this week I'm preaching this is the passage. This is the chapter I've been telling you about, asking you to read Sunday after Sunday. This is the chapter that explains to us the thing that I learned some time ago that's helped me the most about these distractions. It is the chapter of distractions. I see, that, I see this in no commentaries. But it's clear to me this is the chapter of distractions. You see, the Lord in chapter 3, the first five verses, healed on the Sabbath day. And it says in the sixth verse, And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians. This is the political sect, religion and politics coming together. And look at the day we're in. Never has changed. Religion and politics come together. They took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. They might destroy him. And we read further. Verse 7. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples into the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him.
and from Judea and from Jerusalem and Edomia, from beyond the Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. How did they hear about Jesus? Somebody was talking. In our Now listen, this is a wild story. In our group, it's called witnessing. You know when people come to church with somebody, you know why? They heard something. Oh, they heard something. The Bible's being taught there. We're getting a message there. You know when people come to a concert, they come to a restaurant. I'm telling you, there's more talk about on restaurants than there is about church gatherings, but it's called witnessing. It's called telling the story. Something good's happening over there. And uh, that's good news. These people have heard. By the way, this group came from 100 miles, as far as 100 miles to see this Christ. Now, they didn't get in an SUV and travel for three hours. They came on foot. They came on donkeys. They came. You know why they came? They believed something could happen. I hope this morning you came here believing something can happen because this Christ I'm preaching to you can change your life. And if he changes your life, I guarantee you, it'll change the lives of those around us. It will. I promise you it will. The Bible says so. And they came when they had heard, verse 8, what great things he did. They came unto him. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. And that word means crush him. They were so coming. and crush him. For he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him, or to touch him, as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. He didn't want their witness. He didn't want their witness. You get that? I don't want the demons telling you I'm a good guy. I want those that are healed. The demons wouldn't be healed. They acknowledged who he was, they would not be healed. Big deal. Verse 13, he said, he go up to a mountain. He goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came to him. How about that? And he ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, he surnamed Borongis, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphys, Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into the house. The Bible says, read it now, read it, look up the words, it says, and they, and they went home. Jesus went alone. It says in Matthew 5 and Luke 6, both speaking of the same event, they add this, he went, he went up into a mountain to pray. Well, if you're going to appoint people to be your apostles, it's a good idea to pray. And Jesus got alone oftentimes to pray. Do you do that? Jesus got alone to pray. And we're going to find in the rest of this gospel that 
when they were alone with Jesus, he explained to them. When they were alone with Jesus, they did this and did that, and Jesus gave them to them. And it's when you and I are alone with Jesus, the business is going to pick up. This is corporate worship. This is where we together with one heart say amen. He's Jesus. He's the Lord. He's the great healer. He's our salvation. Well, one heart we say that this morning. Amen. We're here because we believe that. We're here because the Bible teaches that, and we believe that. No matter what the world says, the media says, books say, movies say, this is the Word of God. And to the person who's received the Spirit of God, that truth is just indwelling us. He is the Christ. This is His Word. It's going to be just how He says it's going to be. All the skeptics, huh? Did I tell you that? I've been told in my life over and over and over as an adult man in the business world in Lawrence, Kansas, I've been told this over and over. Well, you're just, you have to have, you're weak. You have to have something to lean on. That Bible is your crutch. It is not my crutch. It's a wheelchair. Uh, it's a gurney. I have no strength of my own. And I lean, I, I without hesitation or apology say this, I lean totally on Christ. All of me. All of me. If that makes me a weak man in your opinion, we disagree. But I'm telling you this, all of me leans on him. He's the goodness. He's the rightness, the righteousness. He's the, he's the right one. And I've uh, been in this book a while, and I've lived some days now, but I'm telling you this, I'm just starting to learn what it means to follow him. Just starting to learn. And so these people tell me they got it down, and, and uh, I've had a lot of different conversations through the years, but I'm telling you this. You need, particularly sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, you need day, daily feeding in the Word of God. You won't miss a meal. Uh, not many of us want to miss a meal. But the feeding of the Word of God escapes so many people. Why? We're talking about distractions. And so he called them to come to him. He sent them out to preach and to heal. And uh, he named them. And they went into the house, verse 19. And the multitude comes together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. Well, <laughs> this is what your friends say. This is what your friends say. You come to the Lord and you get about the Lord's business and your friends are going to say you're beside yourself. Is that going to distract you? Are you going to throw up your hands and say, well, if my friends are having trouble with it, i got to change my life. Or are you going to say this, here in my Lord, what will you have me to do? What will you have me to do? And Lord, well, your family's not going to like that. Mine didn't either. Well, your friends aren't going to like it. Mine didn't either. Well, the religious leaders around you are not going to like it. He said they didn't like it when I did it either. And you see the distractions? And the distractions are all deception, by the way. There are people who tell me week after week, I was going to come, I was going to, I was going to go to church, whatever, and I got, you know what happened? You know what came up? It doesn't matter. It's a distraction. One hour a week, two hours a week, three hours, whatever it is, that short time with the Lord, he said to his children, forsake not the assembling of yourselves again. But something came up. I'm telling you, something's always going to come up. 
people here this morning don't feel too good. I don't, I'm not talking COVID. I'm talking there are people here with headaches and people here with... I didn't feel as good as I did Friday morning when I got up, but I came this morning. God bless you. That would be a distraction. It's a beautiful morning. It's a beautiful morning. There's a lot of things you could do this morning besides coming to church. I'm very aware of that. I wouldn't miss it. I wouldn't miss hearing me talk for 45 minutes about these things. But you can. Isn't he good, folks? Come on, right before me. Is he good to you? That's right. That's right. He's so good to me. It overwhelms me sometimes. It's overwhelming to me how good God is to me, to my home, my business, my family. It's overwhelming. Also overwhelming is the reaction that we have toward this good God, isn't it? It's overwhelming sometimes how much we don't let that matter to us very much. I spend a lot of time saying I'm sorry to the Lord. I am sorry that you would think with that much sorrow you'd change some things. I'm, I'm a sinful man. Boy, I fall down a lot. My knees aren't dirty. They're worn out. I fall down a lot before. And so his friends come, and they say what? He's beside us. They come as an intervention group. <laughs> you ever had somebody come for interve intervention? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been asked to go on intervention groups before. I've never seen it work, by the way. People are going to do what they're going to do. you believe that? People are going to do what they're going to do. I can stand up here and cry and beg and moan and carry on, but people are going to leave here and do what they're going to do. I'm asking you this. Do you understand what the Lord wants you to do? Your fight's not with me. It's with the Lord. They're distractions. So his friends came, and it says, verse 22, and the scribes, the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said they had this posse out there to keep an eye on him, that he hath Beelzebub, that's the prince of demons, and by the prince of devils cast out devils. And he called them and said unto him, in parable, how can Satan cast out Satan? Your, your, your accusation doesn't even make sense. How can Satan cast out Satan? Now listen to that. And if a kingdom be divided against itself, a kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. Do himself end. Anybody here know this morning that a house divided cannot stand? It's true. Anybody know a kingdom divided cannot stand? Read your history. Does anybody know that if Satan was attacking his minions and his demons. If Satan was attacking his demons, he's done. No, he's empowering his demons, and they're making this ridiculous accusation. These are the religious leaders, the scribes. And he says, And no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil the house. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness. That's, that verse has scared a lot of people. And you know what? It's scary. Ooh, that's a scary. You know what, you know what that's saying? To ascribe the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil. The Lord said, you die in that state, 
for forgiveness. You're done. To ascribe to the Holy Spirit the works of the devil or vice versa. People involved in things and they'll say it's from God. Really? It looks like flesh to me. I'm not the judge. Aren't you glad I'm not the judge? You're not as glad as I am I'm not the judge. I don't even know how judges in civil matters do it. They're guilty as a person they're judging most of the time. We're flesh. We're flesh. But I'm not the judge on God's things, and he is. But stand before Christ one day with this, ascribing the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. There's no forgiveness for that. There's no forgiveness. A friend of mine told me the other day, been in church for the last 10 years, hasn't heard the word hell used. I'm going to tell you this morning, there is a hell. It's real. And most people are still going. Most people, the many and the few, the Bible talks about. The Bible says many shall be to go that way, the, the destruction, the wide road. Narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting, and few there be that find it, but wide is the gate. Wide is the road that leads to hell, and many go that way. That's the many and the few. That's a percentage, folks. There's more going to hell than going to heaven. You want to know why? They let these distractions be so in their lives that they were distracted to the point of never even receiving salvation. How many people tell me, I, I, what you're saying makes some sense, but later. I, I, I'll, I'll receive Christ later. I'll come to Christ later. I'll live for him later. And guess what? Satan hears that. He ramps it up. Now there's going to be distractions come at you. I mean distractions come at you. I've been preaching now for 30 years. I want to say something to you. Sunday morning can be the most difficult time to get through and to get here. That's when, that's when family fusses start. Satan stir them up. A fuss will start on Sunday morning that you wouldn't fuss about on Saturday. When I was a kid, there were about 100 of us, and somebody lost a shoe. Now, how you lose a shoe, I don't know, and it was me half the time. I still don't know, but we, we'd be running around there. You people that have more than two or three kids, it's a chaos on Sunday morning. Hopping around there with a shoe and a sock on with your slacks. Oh, I was cute. I had a bow tie and a yellow shirt. I was, I was hopping around there, and my dad would come in and say, well, where'd you put it? You know I would have got it if I knew where I put it. And he said, well, where'd you put it? And then he started using language on Sunday morning, not fit for the pulpit. And he said these things about, what's the matter with you? This is no time to discuss these things. But I'm going to tell you what. I never lost my tennis shoes or work boots. I always lost my dress shoes. I don't think I, I think someone hit them. But I'm telling you, it's hard to get here on Sunday morning. That's a satanic movement. A lot of distractions. I'm just preaching about you about distractions today. You young people that are here, if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. It's life-changing to young Christians. Beware of satanic deceptions in the form of distractions. They're satanic, and they're deceptions. And that's his game. That's his game. If someone called me, I've been trying to get some work done for six months, and they said I can be there at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, I say, what else you got? What else you got? And now I'm, a, now I'm kind of worried about them because they're playing into Satan's little game here. Ball games, movies, dinners, outings. They're all wonderful things. 
They're all wonderful things. You should be with your family as much as you can. But don't be distracted from the work of Christ. It can work together. It can be very harmonious. And the Lord said it should be. And so it says now, in verse 30 it says, Because they said, He hath an unclean spirit. That was the blasphemy that is unforgivable. Verse 31 says, And there came uh, then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. His mom, his, his family came to get him because they said he's beside himself, which means he's lost his mind. Oh, he's lost his mind. <laughs> Going around healing people. Crazy man. Going around healing people and demons dropping at his feet. What a crazy man. Is that not a distraction? They said to Jesus, Jesus, Mary and his brothers never even got to see him that day. They were outside. When it says great multitude, you better know this. There were a lot of people there. They came from 100 miles around. And they were there. And they said, someone got word to Jesus as he's teaching inside. We see here in a moment. And they said, your mother and brethren are outside and your sister. And he said, really, who are my mother, brother, and sister? they that do the will of my Father. Let me recap this very quickly as I move into a different part of this. We have in this chapter, this chapter of all the things that it preaches, of all the things that it teaches, of all that we can dig and get out of this chapter, and I promise you this morning, I have not scratched the surface. But I want to say this to you. We start in verse 6 with the, the Pharisees and the Herodians. In this discipline over distraction that I'm teaching this morning, trying to teach to you, trying to teach to me, hearing from the Word of God, seeing in the Word of God, there's this distraction mentality of the world. It's all based on deceptions. Number uh, one out of verse six is the Pharisees and the Herodians got together how they might destroy him. That's a distraction. That's a distraction when the religious and, and political world comes together and says, you can't do that anymore. We're going to have to take you out for what you're doing. We're going to stop you. And they didn't want to tell him to quit preaching. They wanted to, the Bible says, destroy him. It's the first place in the gospel where we find they want to kill Jesus. The shadow of the cross had fallen over him already, and he was just beginning his ministry. But he clearly says, I came for this hour. I came to give my life a ransom for many. Was he distracted? No. Verse 9, and so he withdrew himself from those people. And uh, if you want to uh, withdraw from uh, religious and, and uh, political people, I'll go with you. Hey, I don't know where your car's going. I'll get in there. I just need a little bitty spot. Over the corner somewhere, a little bitty spot. I'll go with you. If you want to withdraw in this world from politics and religion, folks, I want to go with you. And the Lord did. He withdrew himself with what he did. So that's the distraction of enemies. In this world, you'll have the distraction. If enemies can stop you from your work for Christ, from your life for Christ, they will, and you will stop. If someone comes in with a hateful or a threatening attitude because you said, God bless you, or Merry Christmas, how bad do we got to get before they stop us? Have a manger at your house. I mean, it gets wild when you get talking about it. Did you say, did you hear someone say Merry Christmas? 
Oh, that's got to be stopped. <laughs> when I was a kid, that was the theme across this land. Late November. I tell you something else, it used to be a bigger holiday than Halloween. Christmas used to be a bigger holiday than Halloween. Now Halloween's number one the last six years running in America, and more money, more revenue is spent at Halloween than it is at Christmas. Can you believe that? And for the fourth year running, or fifth year running now, I read recently that Thanksgiving will be the most segregated holiday, the most hate-filled holiday this year than any year uh, heretofore because of the political climate. And families are of some persuasion are meeting there, and some are there, and it's ridiculous, folks. It's a distraction. It's a distraction. And so we have the distraction of enemies. Jesus goes to a mountain, he calls his twelve, and look what it says in verse 13. He goes up into a mountain, and we hear in the other Gospels, we see that he went there to pray, and calleth unto him whom he would that they might come unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should come to him, and that he might send them forth to preach. What was he up there praying about? What was the purpose that he called the twelve? Well, look very clearly with me there now. It says, he said, come to me, go into the world. He called them unto him, and they came, that he might send them forth and preach. That's the message of Christ to all the believers. Come unto me, get instruction, get love, get security, get understanding, and now go into the world. That's our job. We're to go into the world. Discipleship. He ordained them that they should come to him, they might send them forth, and to have power. Bible says when they were sent forth, it means literally in the Hebrew, or I'm sorry, in the Greek, it means this, they went away unto him. When he said, come unto me. They went away. They went away from something unto something else. They went away from to. They went away from the world, their, their agenda, their lives unto Christ. Now I want you to see in verse 21, the distraction of friends. And when his friends heard, they went out to lay hold on him. For they said, he's beside himself, he's lost his mind, is what the Bible says. His family came and said, or his friends came and said, we're here to get him. He's clearly lost his mind. One verse, next verse, the scribes came. The distraction of friends, the distraction of enemies. We have now the distractions of, this is the one that gets me almost daily in Lawrence, Kansas. The scribes came and they made this ridiculous statement to him. And the Lord said, you're just silly. That is, that is silliness. These are the arrogant scholars of the day. Now, <laughs> I am certainly not a scholar. I would never claim to be a scholar. I reject all of you believing that I'm a scholar all the time and telling me that daily. So here's what I want to say to you. Scholarship, in my estimation, the word scholarship is thrown around in today's world too freely. I mean, if I've met scholars, they've been few. I've met smart people. I know real faithful people. I know learned people. But I believe, from looking up the words and seeing what happens in the world, scholars are not nearly as prevalent as they say, as they, say they are. These people claim to be scholars. Arrogant scholarship will destroy the message. And so they come to Jesus, 
and they bring this ridiculous claim. That's what arrogant scholarship does. It brings ridiculous claims. I'm seen in Lawrence and called by many people a one-issue voter. Call me that. Call me that if you want to. I am. I vote against that thing that God says I will judge a nation for. I vote against it. I vote against it. Not, I'm not going to back down about that. Everybody has their view of that thing. But I'm telling you what, I vote Scripture. And uh, people don't want to do that. I get that. That's your call. That's between you and the Lord. But I vote against that which the Lord says, all through the Old Testament and all the New, I will judge a nation for this one thing. The life is in the blood. And so we have the arrogant scholarship distraction. And the last distraction in this chapter, so we have enemies, we have friends, we have uh, arrogant scholarship. Now we have the distraction of family. It says there came in verse 31, his brethren and his mother and standing without him sent unto him calling him. And they never got in and they said, behold, in verse 32, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brethren? Who is that? Who would that be? And he looked around them. On, he looked around about on them which sat about him and said, behold, my mother and my brethren. Right here, the group that's around me. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Remember on the cross, John standing at the foot of the cross, and he said, woman, woman. And people say, what a derogatory thing to say. He did not. He said, woman. And he looked at John and said, Behold thy son. John was not a natural born son. Philemon, Josephus, both of them say clearly in their writings that John took her home and cared for her until her death. John, the tender hearted disciple, the one that the Lord had put on Patmos. The Bible said, or the, the uh, I'm sorry, the commentary says about John that he was told, Shut up and quit preaching this Christ. And John said, uh, well, no. And they said, you need to shut up and quit preaching to Christ. And John said, no. Uh, Josephus says that they took him out and they dipped him in boiling oil. They dipped him alive in boiling oil. And he came up unhurt. And uh, so they put him on Patmos, the island of Patmos. As a punitive thing to John, as a disciplinary measure, as a, and showing him and the Lord gave him the book of the Revelation. Your enemy's going to punish you. The Lord will reward you. The enemy's going to punish you. Put you out there on an island by yourself. And John's running around. And he says, John. I don't know what all he had. But he had a, a pen and some parchment. He said, what you see now, write down. And there's a place where the Lord said, now put your pen down and don't tell the rest. And people say, oh, I believe the Bible. Now, why do they do that? Why would he do that? Why would he stop and not tell us all the rest? And you know what? The people don't believe the first part he said. The rest wouldn't do him any good. But you know what I know about Jesus? He's coming back. He's coming back. 
And uh, if we don't make it to that day, uh, we're going there. He's coming back one day, and if we don't live to that day, we're going there, and there will be a committee to meet us. It will be those that have gone on before us. And uh, we're going to say, well, we're home. Isn't that good? Isn't he something? I shall come again. I will come again. I, I will come again. And this is a beautiful thing. If it were not so, I would have told you. If it were not, he wasn't a politician. He didn't tell things that weren't so. He said, I'm coming back, and that's so. And uh, I count on that the same way you count on the first chapter of the book of Genesis. And God said, and it was so. God said, let there be light, and it was so. God said, let the trees, and let the water, and let the fishes, and, let, and it was so. And I grew up in a house where the authority said so, and that's what you better do. I live in a world today where the authority says so, and we better do it. God said so. God said it, and Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you. If I, if I wasn't coming back to get you, I would tell you, but I will come again. And the promise of that coming is not just that we will be here again. He said, to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Well, what a promise. Wouldn't you rather be with him than me? Wouldn't you rather be with him than the people in this world or the situation in this world? He's given America, the, one of the great fallacies of America, one of the great problems is we got it pretty easy. We're not running for much. We're not suffering very much right now. I do believe it's coming, but we're not suffering very much. We all have a pretty nice home, a nice place to lay down. We're clearly getting enough to eat. We have cars that take us where we want to go, and we're free to do it all at our own whim. Third world countries, the gospel is preached, and they beg for Jesus Christ to come in their lives and save, rescue them. The word is from the Bible, deliver them. They beg for that. Americans don't have that. They don't have an urgency to come to Christ because we, we're smart and we're, uh, we, we're good at our job and we get paid well. We're just doing real well. Distractions. If you think that's a harsh message, I'm sorry, but it is a message from the Bible. I am so glad that I learned that some time ago in my younger Christian years about the distractions. Now I want to go back and say some things before we close. Genesis 1 and 1. Genesis 1 and 1 says, in the beginning. And so the question is, the beginning of what? In the beginning. What is this Christ? What is the world about? What is our life about? Why were we born? Why are we here? Where are we? Genesis 1 and 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so in the beginning of what is the question? And there are a lot of people who really want to debate that. And they think they really got something clicking between their ears. I don't get it. In the beginning of what? doesn't say what. It does. In the beginning of time. Because you go to the book of Revelation, and you go to the 10th chapter and the 6th verse, and it says, and time shall be no more. Time shall be no more. God, in his creativity, in his creation, in his love for us, when he created man, when he created all things, created something else at the same time called time, and gave us time. He gave us time. In the beginning, God created. Revelation says there should be time no more. So between eternity past and eternity future, this thing has slipped in, this little little bitty chasm. It's a small thing, and when you 
understand eternity, between eternity past and eternity future, slivered in here is a thing called time. And in that time, man comes and generations pass, and it's been recorded what's happened in that time is called history. And history is his story, history, his story, all about Jesus Christ. He's the creator. He's the one who's going to come back and stop it. And between what did you all do with me is going to be the question at the judgment seat one way or the other. What did you do with me in your time? How did you spend your time? Did you spend your time? Or did, or did you invest your time? Did you spend it or invest it? Did you spend it or invest it? I'm in the age group now where the accountants are saying to my age group, did you spend <laughs> your youth or did you invest your youth? Are you okay now? If you want to stop working, can you still eat and keep the furnace on, the air conditioning running, and drive every now and then to? Can you do that, or did you spend your youth, or did you invest your youth? That's the question. That's a small little picture of our eternity. We're going to meet the Lord one day, and he's going to say, I gave you X number of years and days. What did you do with them? What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do? The Lord's going to be more specific and say this. What did you do with me in that time? A lot of distraction. This COVID thing's a distraction. Churches, my friends, my friends are calling me. Churches are splitting all over this country over COVID. Splitting. It is annoying. It's a great distraction. It's annoying as it can be. It's causing us to redo some things. I'm for redoing some things and staying together. I'm for a harmony in the church through this distraction. A lot of churches don't see it that way. A lot of members don't see it that way. And it's causing great upheaval to the church. I have church uh, pastors who are still not even meeting. Not even meeting. One of them started meeting after uh, two weeks ago. A friend of mine started meeting after two weeks ago. Didn't do anything during the downturn. Didn't contact his people. And guess what? Opened the church back up two weeks ago, and four people were there except the pastor and his wife. Didn't reach out to them. Didn't try to attempt it. I, I told him about our FM modulator and all that, and he said, no, we don't have anybody that savvy in our church. And I said, I have friends who will come help you. Well, folks, if it's four people now, he said, we had a young family coming with all these kids, and boy, one the youth in the church was a wonderful thing, and it is. Youth is God's gift to us. It's that hope that we have, and they're going to do better than we did. <laughs> it's the hope. It's eternal hope. These babies come along, and we think, well, here's another chance. Maybe they'll get it. Maybe they're going to be the one that shaped this world with Christ. That's been my goal since I started preaching the first day of my preaching. Somebody's going to get a hold of this thing and shake us. And it's going to be one of these people they don't expect. The Lord brings them out of nowhere. The Lord brings them out of humble homes and quiet little people, and he shakes the world with them. I pray that from this group that we've had through these years, somebody's going to shake this world for Jesus Christ. I really hope so. I pray about it. I'm going to tell you something. He goes, he, I saw him again the other day, and he said, boy, no one's coming back. I called this family, had all these kids, and he said, that was our hope. And he said, the guy said, well, we decided that we've been laying in bed looking at the Internet on a Sunday morning eating bacon and gravy, and we decided that we think it's a pretty good deal. We're just going to keep doing this. There's nothing like the saints of God meeting together and saying with one heart, amen. Amen. The songs, I'm glad we have music back. The songs lift up your spirit. They prepare you for worship. 
the music of God by his people being sung in praise and adoration. There are churches who wouldn't sing what we sing. There are churches who wouldn't have a piano and an old hymnal. Well, everybody chooses. I love the hymns. I love that old Christians and old spirit filled people sat down and praised God with their words on paper that we all can agree with this. I love to tell the story. I love that song. Don't you love to tell the story? Don't you love to get with someone who hasn't heard the gospel and share the message of Jesus Christ? I love to tell the story. There's a verse in there that says, and to those who know it best. When I first started preaching, I thought, what am I going to tell old Christians? I'm going to tell them the Bible. And if it, even if they know the truth that I'm preaching that day, it's a good, refreshing message of amen. Amen, that's who he is. And so we have these distractions. So we get in time. The Lord gave time, and then we go through the Bible and find this. Psalm 90 says this, We spend our days as a tale that is told. We spend our days as a, ta as a tale that is told. Everybody has a story. Everybody's life is a story. What is your story? Are you producing a horror novel? Comic book? Are you producing a love letter? What's your story? I want to say this to you this morning. I want you, if you believe me or not, I preach this every Sunday, the best I know how, because I love you. I love you. If I didn't love you, but but let me say, let me clear it up this way. I love him a lot more than I love you. And I'm here for him. You're kind of hard to love. He's not. I love you. I love him. I'm willing to stand up here and tell the truth no matter what you think of me because I love you. I love you enough to tell you what the Bible says and let the Lord and his spirit work that through you. I love you that much. And I think I know that I love you. And I got a phone call about Gary and I realized how much I love him. More than I knew. More than I knew. I thought, my love, Gary. I can't believe this. You know what? I still don't have it in my head real well. He used to just pop in. I think he's going to do it again. Well, he did pop in. And he's not going to waste his time popping into my house anymore. He's still more way better than that. But I, I realized at that moment how much I loved him. I would have told you I loved Gary straight up. He was real, he was real giving with those words toward me. But when you get the news, reality sets in. And I love you, but I love the Lord Jesus so much more. And if I have to bring a message that's hard to hear, I want you to know two things about it. One is, I'm going to do it no matter what because he wants it done. And number two is, I had to go through it myself before I brought it to you. I have to live with these truths myself before I bring them to you. Some things are hard to hear. I have an approach to the Bible that's different than about anybody I've been around. It's deeper than people think, and it means more than people think, and we're going to be tested on this one day for its truths and its commands and what we did with those while we were here. And so how are you spending your time? Ephesians 5 and 16 says, Redeem the time because the days are evil. 
I got to tell you, that verse means more to me every year. Time is getting shorter and the days are getting more evil. I've never seen a world that talks and acts like it does right now. I've never even been around this kind of thing. And it's evil. A lot of evil in the world. And the Lord says, buy back. Buy back the time. You know what? Don't be distracted is what it's saying over and over and over. Don't be distracted. Redeem the time. While you're here, do your job. When he left, he said in one of the teachings of the old, uh, the New Testament, the parables, occupy till I come. <laughs> it, those of you who had a father, I'm going to leave for a while and I want you to do something while I'm gone. Be busy while I'm gone. Do something constructive toward the family's good and welfare while I'm gone. And what did the Lord say? Occupy. So we call it occupation. Occupy until I come. Until he comes back, his last word to me was, get busy. And sometimes I uh, moan and whine to my wife, and I say, I'm tired. I'm worn out. Just I'm, I'm just tired. And uh, I get tired. You get tired. Now, in these days, I've gotten weary. I'm actually weary. Tired for me was a, I could take a bath, have a meal, and go to bed and get over it. Weary for me is a life uh, situation. Weary is something I live with because of, I believe the time is short and the people are so ignorant of the truth of the word of God, by and large. And so the Bible says in Ephesians 5 and 16, redeem the time because the days are evil. Good advice. And then we have from Ecclesiastes, that familiar passage of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the proper and improper use of our time. Solomon. To everything, there is a season and a purpose under heaven. To everything, a season and a purpose. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, it's in there. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn. And a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend, a time to sow. A time to keep silence, a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. There's appropriate, inappropriate times to these things in the life we've been given. And then it asks the question, what profit? What profit hath, the next verse now, what profit hath he which worketh wherein he laboreth? What profit hath he wherein he laboreth in these things? Your life work, what's it going to be? When you die, when I die, are we doing those things with our time that will profit us at the judgment? Will we hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or will we hear this, you served yourself pretty well. Oh, you prospered, and you got, and you got, and you gained, and you added to, and you got, and you got, and not now. You're in a box, and they're going to have it all. Your son-in-law is going to fight your son over it. Your daughter and your daughter-in-laws are going to get into it over your things. And if you don't think that happens, wake up, America. <laughs> That's where it goes. People will split a family over a $5 bill. I've seen it done. 
But there's a time for all these things. Now listen, and this is the last message. He hath made everything. Same passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart. You know what that word world means? The Lord said, I've set eternity in your heart. I've yet to meet the man or woman who doesn't know there's something more than this. But I've met a lot of them not willing to confess and admit the best. I've never met a person, I don't think, in my life who doesn't know there's more than this. But what a shame to live all your years, live all your days, and never confess to Christ, and never desire in your heart to live for Him, but live with distractions. Do we understand that? This is the chapter I've been looking for, for since we started Mark, to tell you about the things I've been telling you are coming. Our lives, everyone here this morning know this, our lives are filled with the possibility of deceptive distractions. you believe that? I mean, Satan loves to take you away from the main point. And so many Christians, if you read your Bible, are going to be standing before the Lord one day, and here's, here's, here's even the thing that I hate to see. The Lord's going to say this to people. Your family, are, I want you to know, I want you to love your family. I'm not, please get that straight. The Lord's going to say, the problem is, and the reason you don't get what I've had for you here, the reason for eternity you'll not be rewarded with some of these things is because in your doing of good things, you neglected the best things. you believe that? But Lord, I, I was going to, but now hear me straight. Sick parents are not a distraction, they're a necessity. If your plans change because someone got sick, and some, that's different than just being a distraction. So you have to have also the discipline of discernment, and they all go together. Discerning what is a distraction. What's a need? Are you spending your life? Are you spending your days? Or are you investing your time? And boy, I tell you what, I ask myself that with regularity. What am I doing? What am I doing? Oh, the world can frustrate us. I'm the king. The world can anger us. The world can do a lot of things, but it's Satan at work to distract us. The Lord in this passage had the distraction of enemies. He had the distraction of friends. He had the distraction of arrogant scholarship. And he had the distraction of his family. And you know what? Chapter 4 says he was not distracted. He, he went from there and began to complete his mission, his ministry, his purpose. Next Sunday, chapter 4 of Mark. The parable of the sower, and I want to say to you that verse 13 of chapter 4, the Lord says, Know ye not this parable? How then will you know all parables? This is the parable that gives a root foundation and instruction to understand all parables. The sower, the parable of the sower. We're going to look at it next week. God willing, it's, it's to me, is just pure fun. It's so good. 
the sower went forth to sow. The seed is the word of God. The soil is the heart of man. The sower went forth to sow. And what happened? We'll look at it next week. God bless you. Father, we thank you for this hour we've had together. We thank you for the day and the time. And Lord, we thank you for the weather. We thank you that we are able to, by the freedoms that we still enjoy, come together and meet. We say with one heart this morning before you, amen. It's your word. You are the word. This is your written word. And it's taught and given strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that we would just receive that as a group this morning, each one, taking this truth back to our individual families and workplaces and homes. Lord, we just thank you that you love us so much. We ask now we might truly be your disciples, your disciples, loving you so much that you have preeminence in our heart above all else and everyone and everything. So, God, we just thank you now. Go with us. Bless us. Be with us tomorrow. Lord, be with Edris this morning and her family. Be with everyone in this group who's hurting and has special needs. And, Lord, you know each one of them. Thank you now for who you are. Thank you for being with us and your promise of eternity with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.